Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. Besides! Oh my god. Uh, let's get right into it. we got a lot to cover. Excalibur number 33. It's an issue of a comic book by Chris Claremont. It sure is. And Ron Girls Wagner. School from Heck, part two of three. Is it Ron Wagner? It sure is. Oh, it is, because the cover's got Steve Lytle. Oh. Which is nice. Yeah, it's a good cover. It's a cover of uh, Captain Britain choking Nightcrawler, uh, and you've got Phoenix and Megan fawning over Captain Britain as he does so. Is is Phoenix clapping about what he's doing? He's like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's up on one leg or her other leg's kicked out a little bit. She's like, oh, my hero, you're taking out that ugly, fuzzy man. <laughs> Ugly fuzzy man. <laughs> Which you got to know something's afoot because, you know, she and Nightcrawler have been friends for quite some time. Indeed. Even Captain Britain tolerates Nightcrawler more than this usually. Right? Something I feel is afoot in Lond- old London town. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, opening up the book, um, it is girl school from hell heck. Part two of three. Captain Britain and Megan have showed up to the British Broadcasting Corporation down in White City, London, because Megan is addicted to a soap opera. And she's so addicted that Captain Britain bought her a VCR because she wasn't going out on missions with them on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that she could catch this show. A video cassette recorder? A vi- whatever, <laughs> is what Megan says. Uh, and Captain Britain's also looking at this uh, uh, soon-to-come-to-England American football, and he's like, American football? Puh. Where is the attraction in watching hugely muscled bods and helmets? Does he really say bods? <laughs> and helmets and body armor thump into each other, he says unironically. Unbelievable. Uh, cricket or soccer. I feel like he wouldn't call it soccer. I feel like he would call it football. Well, but. you know, <laughs> American football, it'd be too confusing for the American audiences. I wish uh, the editor would have put that in like parentheses with an asterisk yeah. next to it and then put football as the caption. That'd have been clever. I agree. That, <laughs> that should have been done. Oh, well. Uh, so, yeah, he's not very happy about it. And then... um uh, Megan, she says, um, well, there's one thing that she can think of that the Yanks offer, one thing that we don't have, and that's cheerleaders. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, what is, th- wh- why are we doing this? But th- does all of this, all of this matters. It it does all matter. There's a couple of stories going on here, uh, and they're both pretty important. Um, meanwhile, you know, as they're sort of having this conversation about, um, the football, they, they dig through some, they're in like a, like the back warehouse of whatever this television set is. They come across a poster that's familiar to us. It's called Cassidy's Circus, and it features a cover from some really old X-Men comic. I don't remember what issue, but it's the one in which Mesmero took over the X-Men. Except was Mesmero on that cover? I don't know that he was on the cover. Because he's on this cover. He is, well, this poster, so... The poster harkens back to the cover, but it's certainly not an exact uh, representation. It's just an extremely poor taste, says Captain Britain. 
three of the figures are dead, mm-hmm. slain in Dallas, along with my sister, Betsy. And as for that master mentalist at the bottom, he's Mesmero, Mesmero one of their old foes. What's this all about? And so Megan reads her invitation because I think she's going to be on the show or in the audience or something. I don't know what the case is. doesn't matter because uh, this was all a trap by yeah, some, by, get, this is all a trap by Mesmero. Spoilers. They get zapped by Mesmero. Yeah. Not really a surprise. Like he, he's right there on the page. They're mesmered uh, by, by Mesmero. Mesmired. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the lighthouse, uh, and this is this is a couple of pages that I think is a, is a really nice touch. You've got Nightcrawler standing at the top of the lighthouse uh, in his speedo, so you got a lot of a lot of hot bod Nightcrawler going on here. Yeah, uh, he does a dive. He does like this uh, uh, this uh, front flip dive thing, and the exercises for him to dive into the water, teleport back out of the water dive back into the water and try again. And on the first attempt, it works really well. And he's very proud of himself on the second attempt. Does he teleport himself like even lower in the water? He doesn't know where he's still in the water and he's not sure because he didn't end up where he thought he would be. He doesn't know if he's farther down, farther up. He doesn't know if he's upside down. I don't know. He's he's disoriented. Yeah. He even says, uh, uh, I didn't transit. I'm still in water. So, uh, looking at the image, it's tough to say if he teleported in water or if he just kind of, maybe he's upside down, like you said, either way, he doesn't know which way is up. He's weakened. He's disoriented. And he's like, oh man, this sucks. I probably should have thought this out better. And thank God we, a couple issues ago, we talked about how teleporting, he expands outward because oh, I can't yeah. imagine what, uh, what the conversation would be like if he if we hadn't had that conversation and him teleporting into water, it'd be all like, he'd, he'd just be filling up with water. Wait a minute. He, the expanding from the inside out, I made that up. That's not canon, is it? No, no, you made that up. Oh, but, okay. But it is, uh, <laughs> it, it, it has to, like if, if he's teleporting into water, it yes. has to be somewhat true. Absolutely. It's it's sort of like the whole kitty effect, which we'll talk a little bit more when we get to the Thor issue. But yeah, if Nightcrawler was to teleport into a wall or into water, he, he, unless he's pushing out from the innermost molecule outward, he would be just... I don't know, his water, his body and water would just be like fused together. And I feel like he'd be spongy and dead. Yep. (laughs) But because of the fact that nobody's written, but we know about, uh, (laughs) he's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Take note, future X-Men writers. You need to cover this. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, so Phoenix, uh, uh, and by that I mean Rachel, she's paying attention to what's going on, and she uses her phoenix form to pull Nightcrawler by his tail out of the water. Which is something I don't think we've ever seen before, using the giant flaming phoenix to do stuff. There's a couple of things in this issue we don't see before, but it's okay. Um, so she's 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 in a very revealing uh, bikini here, but she scolds him. She's like, uh, you should exercise with somebody. Yeah. Which is good advice. That was dumb. Yeah. Testing your powers without backup? You silly boy. Thanks for the rescue. The doorbell rings and uh, Nightcrawler's like, oh, thank God. Go answer it. (laughs) And she's like, no, 
I'm a telepath. I can do two things at once, which is the thing we've never seen her before. So she leaves her astral plane body there to continue lecturing Nightcrawler while her meat body goes to answer the door. And I thought this was going to like, I thought this was going to matter. And I'll explain that in a minute. Okay. Um, I would imagine the amount of concentration, like she's not Dr. Manhattan, right? Yeah. Uh, the amount of concentration that would be required would mean that she'd have to be like sort of mentally shifting between her astral form and her meat sack form, or her meat sack form would just be on autopilot and would just like fall over everything. <laughs> It'd just be like running, like, you know, a, a sort of like a brainless body, uh, hit the couch, fall on her face. And then she'd Whoopsie. zap over with her astral form and be like, oh my gosh, why does my face hurt? Why am I on the ground? What happened? Uh, but that doesn't happen. So she does run to answer the door, the meat sack, and uh, Jean Grey answers the door and says, Cat got your tongue, honey. No cheery greetings for your... No cheery greetings for your dear old mom, Jean Grey! Guess not! And she, too, Phoenix, that is, has been mesmerized. And I thought I would turn the page and the the uh, the version of Phoenix that was, like, yelling at Nightcrawler would poop out of existence or something with a, like, pooped, poot. It would have been, yeah, I think. And then Nightcrawler would be, like, tipped off that something was happening. Like, oh, that's strange. Right. Because either way, by the time we get to the end of the next page, Nightcrawler knows something is happening. So to have exactly what you talked about or even just, like, Rachel be like, oh, Nightcrawler, something's wrong, and then she fades away would have like okay that would have paid off the setup of this new new ability that she's got but it it doesn't uh to nightcrawler i guess she just disappeared and and he's like oh okay well i guess i got lectured that sucks lockheed i guess she finished her lecture and then disappeared so nightcrawler talking to himself uh with lockheed answering starts working out the puzzle of where could gene be what cross Uh, time Kitty, rather, yes. What cross time time stream could she be in? And why won't Widget take us to that alternate universe? Unless, wait a minute, what if she's already on the planet Earth and that's why Widget won't take us anywhere? Because she's already here. Oh my god. <laughs> I gotta tell everybody. Just then Captain Britain shows up and, and he's like, Oh, Captain, good to see you. I've got good news. And Captain and, Britain punches uh, him in the face. Grabs him by the throat and pushes him into the wall. Mm-hmm. Just like on the cover. He hit me. Oh, I guess I guess he does hit him. Uh, that's It's a weird panel because he both, he both slams him but also pushes him into the wall. It's a little weird. I think he punches him against the wall and then grabs his neck. Oh, that that's his towel. That's okay. No, I was looking well, at Nightcrawler's towel and I thought it was Captain Britain's arm. No, was like, okay. Because I thought he swooped in and just grabbed him by the arm. But then I was like, oh, no, that's not what's happening at all. Yeah. So uh, Rachel's mesmered. Captain Britain's mesmered. Nightcrawler sees um, Rachel coming with another woman who he assumes is Megan. But well, it is Megan. Is like, what's Megan wearing? Because she's still so it, the shadow looks like she's in uh, Jean Grey's guise. But anyways, yeah, it's. Mesmero shows up and he's like, hey, remember me? I did it again. Hey, Mesmero, I should have. Yep. That's right, you should have, but you didn't. 
Remember I did this once before, but it all fell apart? Well, now I'm doing it again, and it's going to be better this time. Rest assured, this time there won't be any mistakes. <laughs> Meanwhile, at St. Cyril's, uh, Kitty is out in the athletic yard, athletic field, uh, early in the morning because there's nobody out there, and she's practicing her uh, demon ninja moves. Let's say, let's say Kung Fu. <laughs> okay. Or something. I don't know. She says something about like, I'm the demon ninja from Chicago or something. Yeah. Like she's practicing all the stuff she learned when she was uh, in the Kitty and Wolverine limited series. Which is a nice little callback and touch. Yeah. And they're not Just, outright saying it. You know, so for the true readers, they're like, I remember that. And all the noobs are like, I, what, what, demon, Chicago, ninja, what? <laughs> <laughs> cool. Comics are cool. <laughs> I like ninjas. And so she works out to herself. She's like, oh, this is like a school for like people that won't take these girls anywhere else because they're so bad. This is the last place for them. Which I don't feel like we've known up till this point, but this issue hits it uh, pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, and so she's wondering, Ace's place you sent me, Kitty. Any different back... Courtney. Courtney. What did I say? You said Kitty. Kitty. Courtney. Which would mean that she was talking to herself. She, she, which well, she, she does. She so you were <laughs> totally off base there. Does Courtney Ross, the ice queen of international banking, banking, have some interesting shadows in her own past? Question is, why do I find it means so much for me to fit in? And will these will will that question ever be answered? I don't think so. You know, she continues working on her karate while a gaggle of girls have collected uh, behind some bushes, and they're like, "Look, she's like Bruce Lee." Somebody but better. Was, somebody's somebody like, says. "He's uh, he was never that good." Well, I feel like that's like I don't know coming out of well. Left I field mean, there. It, it's it's what what year is this? Is he dead yet? Oh, I think so. Yeah, this is nineteen ninety. 1991. Well, then that's just mean. Yeah. I think Brandon Lee is just about to die. So speaking ill of the dead. Right. And how, how does this person know whether or not Bruce Lee was ever that good? I don't know. Based on the movies that I saw. <laughs> Based on my martial arts expertise. So anyways, yeah, they're ta they're also talking about the American style football. And they're like, look at the pods. And one girl says, <laughs> I like the quarter deck. Quarterback Montrose, says uh, Phoebe. Phoebe's got a black eye. And so she starts uh, scolding and yelling at these girls. And, Do you uh, think this is a reference to modern uh, indie rock star Phoebe Bridgers? I don't know who that is. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> not because this is from 1990. Oh, okay. But maybe, mm -hmm. maybe Phoebe Bridgers' parents named her after... Phoebe from this comic book. Wouldn't that be a amazing coincidence? Or this person you're talking about was named after one of the friends from that show called Friends. Oh, uh, yeah, it's probably more likely. <laughs> I don't know. Phoebe's not that, you know, unique of a name. Well, let's see. Okay, let's do the math here. She's in her 20s. Mm -hmm. So then her parents are probably in their 40s. Like, Mid 40s. Yeah. yeah, okay. Maybe even so, late 40s. So four so they're nine they're 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 so pretend no, they're probably they're probably not. Well no, they're potentially they're right around the age where they could be reading Excalibur. 
Yeah. At, at like 10, 12 years old. And they're also at the perfect age to be about 17 or 18 watching Friends every day. Maybe it was the combination, the one-two combination. It was like they, they were watching Friends and they're like, Phoebe, why, do I, why does that name ring a bell? Honey, I, really I like got this old name. Excalibur issue. It's got Phoebe in it. Oh, I Phoebe. remember that. Phoebe. Honey, I'm pregnant. Let's go to name her Phoebe. <laughs> and they lived happily ever after. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and so these girls are like, we saw you get beat up by Kitty and somebody throws like a rock at her other eye. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a donut. Oh, it's a donut. It's a jelly donut. Okay, yeah. That was my jelly roll. Because there's some <laughs> kid that keeps saying like, I want a jelly roll. Yeah, that, that line makes me laugh. Uh, and so then these three, the three mean girls start chasing the underclassmen. And Phoebe comes up with this plan of like, everybody leave Kitty alone. Uh, I don't want to engage with her. She's clearly trained. She's clearly dangerous. She hit me just hard enough to not do permanent damage uh, because I've studied that in my classes. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> how does she know that? Anyway. <laughs> so she's like, but we're not going to do anything and nobody else is. Nobody is allowed to talk to her. Pass it around. She'll have no friends. And that's our plan. Which lasts up to pages. <laughs> essentially. Well, you know, they have to do something to get this plot moving on. So uh, I guess. In, in, in classic uh, movie fashion, this this comic book turns into a movie. I don't know. I feel like in a movie, this would happen, and for the next you know ten fifteen minutes of runtime, it'd be this character like getting to their lowest point, and then ultimately saving the bad girl or making an impression on the bad girl, and then rising to the occasion to solve the problem. They do all of that here in two pages, and we still have a whole issue left to go. <laughs> yeah, so that's true. A little different, but anyway, she's up in her uh, little tower her turret, if you will. She's studying. Her whole room's a mess. Nobody comes up here. Everybody's leaving her alone. And the teacher comes up and she's like, oh, man. What is the teacher's name? Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Rutherford. Rutherford. Miss okay. Rutherford. And she's like, I guess I sort of let things slide. If I can move fast enough, can I make it instantly clean? Which is it's a weird, weird thing to think to yourself. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> That's not one of her powers. Nope. Is there a way I can phase all of these books? She has mentioned that her powers of phasing don't work on campus, so that's not even an option. Right, exactly. Uh, But Miss Rutherford, she's like, oh, don't worry. I'm not here as your teacher or the headmistress here. Uh, This is just an informal visit. She had a lollipop? It really does look like she has a lollipop. (laughs) She says, you should make some friends. And Kitty's like, nobody likes me. And then somebody else comes up and says... Hey, the finance council is here, which is weird because it's night, but whatever. Yeah, I guess it's fair too that Mrs. Rutherford would not, Miss Rutherford would not expect the finance. So, uh, finance committee to show up at this time. So she went up probably to have a nice little chat with Kitty, but she's called away almost immediately. Things happen very quickly in this issue. Yes, they do. So as we progress through the issue, uh, we're we're going to find that both Phoebe and Kitty are in their sleeping attire, basically like underwear and T-shirts, which would tell me that it's like at 9 p.m., 10 p.m.? It's later. So what is the finance council doing coming to the school at bedtime? Seems weird. Kitty's got a scarf on. She has a scarf, a T-shirt, but she's wearing underwear. And then Phoebe's got like sexy lingerie. 
Yeah. But my point is, is not really about what they're wearing, but, you know, I don't usually get into my, my sleeping attire until, you know, a little bit before I'm about to go sleep. Let me ask you, though, what, what time do you get into your sleeping scarf? <laughs> uh, it's never come up. But but I I have many sleeping scarves in my okay. my sleeping scarf uh bureau. Okay. <laughs> uh I just haven't had uh, occasion to wear it. I I I will wear that on my child's 21st birthday is when I will <laughs> adorn my sleeping scarf. <laughs> anyway, so she uh opens up the window I guess to get some fresh air or something but she notices phoebe is like running along the roof line she's which like, is a weird thing for phoebe to be doing it is a weird thing for phoebe. she's got well, i don't i guess we don't really learn why she's doing this do we well she's she's spying i guess this is her spying spot we don't learn why she's spying though do we i guess maybe she saw the finance people were there like maybe maybe she she was in her dorm room and uh, she heard some cars pull up, and she was like, "Oh, it must be the finance people. I better get up to the roof." Yeah, so I she guess. <laughs> so she runs up to the roof to go to her little hidey hole, which is right above Miss Rutherford's office. Kitty finds her and uses her demon Chicago stealth-like ninja uh, moves to silently follow her. How did Phoebe find this location, and why did she? Was she like, "I need to figure out a way to spy on Miss Rutherford"? I don't know. Well, she thinks she. She said this before, like this is she she runs this school, right? This is her school. And this is why they don't like Kitty is because well we'll find this out in a moment, is that she's the newcomer and she needs to bend to their ways. So she's got to be in the know, and that's why she's constantly spying on Miss Rutherford. Okay. Which none of that is uh you know revealed in the comic. I just made all that up. Yeah. Yeah. So the finance people are like, We're gonna shut you down as soon as possible. You're gonna have to find a place for all these kids. And uh, Phoebe's not very happy about this as she's sitting by the grate listening in on this. No. And uh, Kitty, which shows, uh, first of all, shows that Phoebe's got a little bit more depth than just the bully girl, which is nice. Here, thanks. Whoosh. <laughs> and uh, Kitty accidentally bumps into something, so she, her ninja demon skills aren't really that great, I guess. And they get in a little tussle. And that's when we get the whole thing about, you're new to this school, and we've been here forever. This is our school. It's kind of funny. Kitty tries to phase into something automatically, but she can't phase, so she just knocks stuff over. Yep. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good touch. And then she ends up falling. <laughs> Phoebe is able to get uh, the high ground, uh, get on top of Kitty, uh, pinning Kitty to the ground and starts yelling at her. Uh, and that's where Kitty, don't attack me. I've got the high ground. <laughs> and then she, then they kind of connect, you know, no big deal. You got somewhere else to go to, right? And Phoebe's like fat lot. You know, we don't even have homes. I had like seven parents, which My I'm folks are split too. I'm assuming she, she says we got no home. Mostly our parents wouldn't know what to do with this. I have seven myself. Three daddies, four mummies, though it looks pretty certain real daddy's about to trade in for a newer model. I, I don't know what that means, but... Oh, it means, oh, it means step, step parents. I got it. So mom got remarried a few times. Dad got remarried. Married yeah. I got it. I got it. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't I'm, nitpicking too much. I, I actually thought she was like <laughs> an orphan, like going through like foster parents, but... 
Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's that's another uh, alternative, but I, not I, so. Yeah, I think the former is the most accurate. Kitty says her parents are split too, and so they're able to bond on that. And uh, Kitty's like, you know, you look cold in that skimpy little lingerie. Why don't you take my sleeping scarf? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know what she's what, what she hands her. It's like a I, jacket, but I don't. But it's not the fringes jacket. No, because there are no fringes. She has a shirt that says Chicago Thirty Five, um, which I'm gonna guess is like um, that McMahon guy. Okay. Not Ed McMahon. I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> Chicago Bears Thirty Five. Not Ryan Nall. Nobody knows who that guy is. I think she took off her her scarf. Because you can't go running around a rooftop with a scarf on. And there is a panel where she looks like she's kind of taking it off. No, nope, I, I don't so, know. Yeah, it is It is the Chicago Bears 35 shirt that she is giving away. Maybe it's one of those concert band jerseys and it's one of her uh, favorite Chicago bands. Oh. The Gnarly be. Whistle or whatever that band was. <laughs> it's the, uh, the famous uh, Chicago Bears jersey that um... – Oh God! Now his name is Bob Dylan. Wore for that one concert tour. Oh, did he wear a jersey? I didn't know that. No, he, but he's the only musical artist I could think of that was from Chicago. It's a Kevin Smith jersey. He's not from Chicago. Remember, remember back when Kevin Smith used to wear a jersey every day of his life? Doesn't he still? No. Now that he's thin, he has a different outfit that he oh, wears. Oh, that's right. He's got like a a sport coat and a t shirt. Okay. Yeah. Anyhow, um, I I thought that uh, it would have been a a, a famous uh, bear, but I mm, sorry, don't think maybe it's it just Kitty's favorite bear. Could be Nolan Watkinson from 1986 to 1993. Neil Anderson wore the number 35 on the Bears, so maybe she's a huge Neil Anderson fan. Could be, or maybe it's a hand me down. Maybe it's from the 40s. Maybe Chris Claremont is a huge Bears fan, and Neil Anderson uh, was his favorite running back. I like the Bears. Yeah. Love those Bears. So anyways, uh, as they sort of make nice, um, they they see that Miss Rutherford is in her office crying. That stinks. At least we have uh, some sorts of homes to go to, but... That's a little blurry here. St. Cyril's is her life. She, she'll be left with nothing. Only if we, if we let, let it happen. That happen. Meanwhile, um, the, in London, we, we have some people on the street. I don't know who these two people are. It looks like it's Henry Peter Gyrick, but I don't know if it is. So what I gather from this is it's somebody from the KGB and somebody from the CIA and they're both tracking that woman who was uh, seeking psychological help from Mesmero in the last issue. I don't know why. But then at the end they say uh, something about the Shadow King. Yeah. And uh, it all ties back together to a tale to be told over upcoming months in the pages of the Uncanny X-Men. Sort of. Long enough to find a means of dealing once and I pray for all... With our true enemy, the ultimate threat to all humanity, the Shadow King. And this man, who is maybe our KGB guy, he's smoking a cigarette, that feels kind of Russian. His glasses have like one dark lens and one light lens. She calls him Comrade Colonel, so I think he is the, oh, that, the KGB yeah. guy. Unless 
she's Russian and just out of an abundance of respect, she just calls everybody comrade general. That could also be. (laughs) Somebody says, uh, gag me with a Dragunov sniper rifle. And the person responds, I swear that's the last time I let you anywhere near another issue of G.I. Joe. That writer's positively corrupted you. I feel like Chris Claremont passed by Larry Hama in the office and he's like, I like you, kid. Yeah, I think so. I think it was. It's a. It's a. It's like a ribbing. Yeah. Hey, you're in. You're in the club. You're officially referenced in a comic book. Now here is a connection that I'm sure you. Well, maybe you made. Maybe you didn't. Um, Spider-Man was in an issue of the Transformers. Mm-hmm. The, the Transformers had an issue where they fought GI Joe. That means that GI Joe and the Transformers are in the Marvel universe. And they're just referencing, they're like doing some fourth wall breaking there. Well, not only that, but once once G.I. Joe falls apart and it starts not doing well as far as the sales go, they just start putting the Transformers in the comic. So they are definitely in the same universe. <laughs> and I don't think Spider-Man ever shows up. But as you said, Spider-Man isn't, isn't an issue of uh, Transformers and that cyber girl is also in an issue of secret wars yeah i was just circuit breaker circuit breaker was was referenced by like the beyonder right yes like he Uh, he called her up and yeah and she was in the issue and she shows up and is like i'm circuit breaker yeah i think she was like i'm circuit breaker but i'm busy right now (laughs) (laughs) doing transformer things i feel like this is somehow a october guard reference because there's I don't know if you remember, but in G.I. Joe, there is a the equivalent, the Russian equivalent of G.I. Joe is the October Guard in those comics. And they were super popular in that comic. So I remember the October Guard. I always wanted them to make action figures of them. And they probably eventually did at some they did. Point. Yeah. yeah, they did. And they, they weren't great. So Josie Beller of Earth 616, otherwise known as Circuit Breaker. Uh, is definitely a part of the Marvel Universe. Ah, created by Marvel so they could hold the rights to the character. That's weird. They don't really use her. (laughs) They used her in Secret Wars, that's it. Secret Wars 2, number 3. Was one of the many humans observed and analyzed. Oh, they don't reference the Transformers, though. That's interesting. What about the mechanic? Remember the mechanic from Transformers? Oh my god, Adam... Created by Marvel so they could hold the rights to the character, the more noteworthy version Circuit Breaker of Earth-91274 was a Transformers character. Oh, so they're saying it's an alternate Earth. Mm, However, Spider-Man in an issue of Transformers. What about that time that Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. went up against Godzilla? Oh my god. You know what they're saying here? Is that G.I. Joe and the Transformers, that series that I'm trying to make this connection to, officially happened in Earth 91274. Oh my Unless G.I. Joe is another alternate universe <laughs> in which there are also Transformers when the need arises. Earth 91274 has a nearly uh, identical uh, universe, that of Earth 120185, where the majority of events transpired much the same way. However, there were divergences. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm clicking on it. Oh, oh, Transformers and Action Force. 
Oh, this is like UK Transformers stuff. Okay. And oh. it's an action force, the UK version of G.I. Joe. Yeah. So, so my gosh, Earth 120185 is very similar to that other U- Earth, but mostly takes place in the UK. Friggin' now, crazy. The, the four-part G.I. Joe Transformers limited series, I think, was part of the Transformers continuity, but wasn't part of the G.I. Joe continuity. So I go, think, go figure that I out. I think you're right. And I'll bet you if we kept digging... I bet you there's a Spider-Man that exists in Earth 91274, and he's like the only superhero. And he only appeared once. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Oh, Earth 91274 is considered part of the Megaverse, which contains oh, a number of alternate realities that are a part of the Omniversal structure, but are so far removed from common alternate realities and timelines that events are almost unique to that particular universe. Crazy. So Circuit Breaker could potentially appear yeah. in in a modern 2021 issue of X-Men. Oh, my God. There's a whole backstory here. It goes into, like, <laughs> Primus, who must be, like, a descendant of Optimus Prime. There's some Unicron stuff in here. Oh, my God. Yeah, once, once I dropped off of uh, Transformers, it started getting into the lore, and that Simon guy started writing it, and... Uh, that's when that's when the uh, issues start becoming worth money, and I don't have any of those. Well, anyways, back to Excalibur. Um, the Shadow King, they're going to stop the Shadow King. But meanwhile, in the top floor of the Harley Street townhouse, we see a very dapper Mesmero hanging out, drinking some, I'm going to say, cognac. It's got like a smoker's jacket on. He's talking to the two robots from last issue who wanted him to do their bidding. And he kind of goes on and on and on about, like, I do all these things. I got all these schemes. I got all these plans. But then when they succeed, I don't know what to do. And then they blow up in my face. So, so I went legit. So And now I'm making money hand over fist. But you want me to do this thing, huh? Well, you better tell me what's going on. You better tell me sooner. Just kill me. And they're like, we don't know what to do. We're going to go talk to our master. Yeah. Turns so out, do. though... That this dapper man was not actually Mesmero, but it was Megan who Mesmero was controlling because he was like, man, I, I actually thought they were going to kill me or you, yeah. Megan, but they didn't. So that was good. He kind of put her out there just in case. So he he mesmers her into giving him a kiss, uh, uh, but he does say, um, some people you can lead to your lips, but all the hypnosis in the world can't seem to make him kiss you back, which was his big problem in that uh, that old X-Men issue. He had this whole harem and none of the ladies reciprocated. Yeah. He's like, it's not good enough. Nobody loves me. <laughs> you got to do it the old fashioned way, man. Personality. Mm-hmm. Or or wear them down until they give up. Yeah, well, that's what I do. <laughs> I don't know that that's he, ever worked. He also sends Captain Britain to tail the two robots, uh, presumably just to learn and get more information and possibly send Excalibur after them. He tells a joke, and then he makes the remaining members of Excalibur laugh at his joke. Wonderful plan. Absolutely brilliant. Meanwhile, back at St. Cyril's, uh, this is so weird. So the bad girls are in their skimpy lingerie and the underclassmen are all in like normal like t-shirts and shorts like nighttime t-shirts and shorts it's really weird 
This is how Chris Claremont imagines teenagers are. <laughs> and so they're all like, I can't believe St. Cyril's is going away. Here, we collected some money. Oh, that's going to be enough for a bar of soap. But you stinky little kids don't even know how to use it, so it's a waste on you. And then they're like, well, you could go pose for some magazines, but you're so old that nobody would pay you for pictures. Thunder thighs. Thunder thighs. <laughs> Just terrible. They go thunder thighs, thunder thighs, moo. And I'm wondering, is that like a, a Thunder Hawks reference? Probably not. I don't think so. Actually, I, well, no, not Thunderhawks. Uh, Thundercats. Thunder. Yeah. Thunder. Thundercats. Oh. And that is a reference Moo. to what she says next was we, uh, assuming, of course, we could find someone willing to pay for pictures of such over-the-hill cows. That's yeah, pretty bad, actually. I feel like this whole page is a little problematic. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, they're they're about to brawl when Kitty comes out. she got like a, a rolled up plan in her hands and she's like i hate to interrupt guys but i have a plan that is if you're interested and now she's got a jacket on over the 35 shirt does she it looks like a something i think unless it's just the scarf kitty's doesn't have a scarf or a jacket but phoebe who comes up behind her she's got the frilly jacket thing what is okay in this panel where she says if any of you are interested? It does. Is it just, is it just the lighting? Or I think is it, it's the lighting, but I could see where you'd think it was either a scarf or a vest. Yeah, it looks like some sort of like sleeveless jacket or something. And I can't tell if she's wearing leggings or if she's still just in her underwear. But either way, it's all very strange. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's like, we got a plan. And they're like, what's your plan? And Phoebe, what are you doing with Kitty? And she's like, we're fine now. We're going to become cheerleaders for this football team. What? And That's Phoebe crazy. is is not only with Kitty now, but she's wearing the uh, fringy jacket that she stole from Kitty that Kitty got back from her. Mm-hmm. That apparently they stopped back in Kitty's room to get it. I feel like that's the jacket that Kitty gave her, though, when they were in the attic that she didn't have. No, it's the jersey. So, yeah, they, they went and changed again. Okay. It's <laughs> yeah. weird. But obviously it's symbolic of, like, you stole this from me, but now we're friends so you can borrow it. Well, right, because yeah. she she's what what you had uh, uh, said before was that Phoebe was like, you got to toe the line if you want to fit in, and now Kitty is like, oh, okay, is that how it is? All right, I will toe the line. Yep. You can take my jacket. And so they've got oh, so the TV station or somebody is holding tryouts for a London-based cheerleading team, even though everybody. But he pretty much knows they're going to import this professional uh, squad of cheerleaders from the U.S. They feel like if they can dazzle them enough, they, they have a chance of winning the competition and becoming the cheerleaders and raising the money that they need to save the school. And everyone's like, all right, but who's going to train us? And that's when Kitty's like, me. And everybody looks angry and upset about it. <laughs> Not everybody. Most of people are like, doomed. And then one of the girls is like, five pence says we'll pull it off. And the girl's like, what kind of odds? Utterly doomed. Even Phoebe is like, I, I think Phoebe is mad at the girls who are saying doomed. Exactly. Yeah. She's like, come on, girls. Toe the line. It's me, Phoebe. I'm in charge. It's the Phoebster. Come on. So there you go. Uh, the next issue is School Spirit or Cheerleaders from Heck. Yeah, we've turned into full on like teeny bopper movie i'm okay with this because at least a story is happening and it's not just a bunch of uh filler issues which i feel like excalibur has been nothing but i'm i'm hoping that you know it's not gonna go straight forward and, and follow a stereotypical plot but there will be some curveballs 
Well, I mean, spoilers. The, the next issue says Kitty reunites with the team and they confront Mesmero. So there could still be some curveballs. There could but, be. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'm enjoying it. Let me put it that way. I think it's just a three-parter, isn't it? It might be. Yeah. And then I think Chris Claremont's out, and it's probably going to go back to filler issues. It could be. <laughs> Those will be quick to cover. All right. So how about uh, how about Wolverine? Uh, let's jump into Thor. So we'll we'll stick with the uh, we'll stick with Excalibur. Okay. Thor number four hundred and twenty-eight. Hang on, I have to navigate the new Marvel Unlimited to find my <laughs> Thor because it's I'll not. Just, I'll just I'll just talk about it for a while. Oh, there it's it under, is. I found it's it. T. It's under <laughs> T for Thor. Yeah, it's not sorted. Where we left off, uh, Kitty Pride had just put phased who she thought was the Juggernaut into a building. Uh, like halfway up to his kind of chest. So he's halfway phased into concrete, which I don't know. I don't know what the ceiling is like in this building, but are his legs like dangling or is this rooftop so thick that, well, we find out the rooftop is thick enough that his entire, all of his legs are completely encased in concrete, but she thinks it's the juggernaut, but it's actually Thor. In, in my version of the story, what's happened here is that Thor was phased into the ceiling. And whatever piece of Thor is not in the building, whether it be his feet or his body, just slides off. (laughs) (laughs) And his torso or whatever portion of him is in the ceiling is now just a part of the ceiling, and he's dead. All right, so moving on to Wolverine. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. That is not what happens. And in fact, Thor is like saying, Arg! He's in a lot of pain. Uh, there's more fighting and stuff. Some police show up, uh, but it's like the new, uh, super police. Yeah. They have a name like squad 35 or something. Sure. I don't know. Maybe they're a offshoot of damage control, but either way they, they are blue. Code blue. Uh, they have training and they've got weapons to deal with super villains. Thor is like, this really hurts. I got to get out of here. So let me do my Thor thing and spin my hammer. And uh, now I'm free. Yeah. And Which, yes, I guess is explained by magic. <laughs> the roof of the building is like four feet thick at least because below his feet is now uh, probably got so hot that it turned into glass Yeah, that he's standing on. It's a really thick ceiling. That is one serious roof now so he's okay but see i'm still a little on the fence here unless you go in with the whole magic route that like even if he did sort of break through i feel like his torso and all of his legs would just be like like half flesh bone ceiling pieces the only thing that gets him out of this in one piece is magic because otherwise like like no spinning of a hammer like you could separate some of the brick from the body, but the part that is phased into the body would just be kind of stuck there. Yeah. I liked my explanation better where Kitty was like, Oh my God, it's Thor. And she just is unable to free him by phasing him out. But whatever, this works. Magic hammers. Yeah. Um, on the next page, Rachel does something we've never seen her do. She, she shoots a, uh, flame ball at juggernaut Thor. Well, if we saw as we saw in the last issue of Excalibur, she can control a giant flaming bird. So this is, this doesn't seem like much of anything. I I'm okay with the flaming bird 
sort of. Like, the Flaming Bird is sort of the effect and sort of the culmination of all of her powers. I guess it stands to reason that its talons can pick things up, although we've never seen that before. But now she doesn't even have the Phoenix effect. She's just out and out doing uh, human torch, like, flamethrowing. <clears throat> Whatever. No, it's, it's cool. Just It's comics. Don't matter. And it backfires because Thor uses his hammer and uh, reflects back at her, which knocks her out. Is there is there anything that that hammer can't do? I mean, it's it's kind of the ultimate weapon. It it it's pretty much the solution for everything. So there's a lot more fighting and a lot more talking. You know, Captain Britain's like, I don't know what you're saying, Juggernaut, but I'm gonna put you where you belong. And Thor's doing all of his saith thou willst son of Odin stuff. So there are times when they understand Thor and there are times when they don't. And and I don't know if that's because he's speaking in Wilst while uh, Lingo or if he's because or if it's because the magic that the Wrecker is using to make them think that he is the juggernaut is obfuscating his voice. Um, I don't know. But sometimes they can understand him. So I don't think it's that. Uh, at some point, Code Blue just disappears because – they're not useful in any way to the story at some point. Yeah, it's when Thor freed himself. He's like, stand back, mortal! And he gets himself free, and then I don't think we see Code Blue anymore. Uh, actually, we do. There's one, there's like a really buff woman with a, uh, like a power depleter gun who shoots, is it the Wrecker guy or the helmet guy? Uh, yeah, f- uh, fast running guy. <laughs> he's taken out for a minute, but... Basically, it gets down to the point where Lockheed finally notices that there's something weird going up on a neighboring roof, and that's where the Enchantress and uh, who's Ulick. the other guy, Ulick, have have adjourned to. So they're they're invisible, but people could hear them. So they're like watching and whispering and stuff. Uh, and so Lockheed heads up there and um, disrupts. Does this mean that Lockheed can see invisible people, or does know. he just hear them? I think he heard them. Okay. I don't know, because he, he's like, uh, geep, and he looks up, and the roof is empty, and he sees, like, a bunch of birds, and then he says, glue? <laughs> so I feel like there was, you know, he's just, something caught his attention. I don't think he can see invisible things, but he's probably got really good seeing or really good hearing, is what I'm thinking. Okay. Maybe, maybe... Uh, maybe what he caught, like those birds, uh, were disrupted by the invisible people that went up there. The birds are like, I'm out of here. I can sense something. Yeah. And, uh, Lockheed's like, well, that's weird. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go check that out and blow fire on it, which he does. Um, and, and Trantress and Ulick, I believe just leave. Yeah. Like we're out of here. Uh, we don't like dragons. We're out of here. Well, I guess, uh, it also brings the attention to Wrecker that they're up there. So he starts blasting at them as well yeah he was was his legs and hands were encased in rock or he was hypnotized into thinking that maybe i don't know how enchantress's powers go but something like that once they disappear she's like i'm free and then so now she's like i'm gonna take that girl out so she he goes into full ram man mode and starts heading towards kitty and and juggernaut thor's like look out young lady young lady let me throw my hammer. Get thee down, woman. Death lurks behind thee. And now Kitty completely understands. It's like, oh, I I understand what the juggernaut said. Why would he be concerned for my safety? Is he really trying to help me? Or is this some elaborate ruse? And she phases through the ceiling, and the hammer hits the guy in the face, and he falls over. Bulldozer. That's his name is Bulldozer. I like this series of panels. He's like, 
It's going to take a whole lot more than a stupid hammer to... He gets hit in the head. Stop. And then it goes to another panel. Me. And he falls to the ground. It's it's nice. I like it. It's a good three-panel uh, measure there. It is good. I agree. And so the fighting is over and, uh, you know... Excalibur surrounds Juggernaut, or who they think is Juggernaut, and then the bad guys leave, which makes Juggernaut turn back into Thor. And then Excalibur's like, whoopsie. Oh, geez. I guess this this makes a lot more sense now. The Code Blue come. They take the Ram Man guy away. And um, their Excalibur's like, well, we're here because... We need to find the juggernaut. We need to return him to London because that's where he last was. We saw him fighting you, so where is he? And Thor's like, hey, don't worry about it. I took care of him. He's, like, so far away. And Excalibur's, On an asteroid. Yeah, Excalibur's <laughs> like, well, we believe you, but we still need some verification. And then Thor's like, okay, no problem. I'll take you to this asteroid, whereupon they get ambushed. Kitty thinks to herself, this guy takes himself way too seriously, but he is the hunkiest. Whatever's going to happen in the next issue or two issues or whatever could have been avoided if Excalibur was like, you know, Thor's been around for a while, and I feel like he's pretty trustworthy. If he says Juggernaut's <laughs> on an asteroid, he's probably on an asteroid. Let's go. Back to London, everybody. Yeah, that's true. But no, they go to this asteroid where they're ambushed, flown to another planet, and they find out that the leader of this planet is the Juggernaut. This world belongs to the Juggernaut. I am the master here. The absolute law. This time, you're the criminals. Nyak, nyak, nyak. Yeah, there you go. Cool, man. Uh, Ghost Rider number nine. Okay. Jumping into X-Factor, who are barely in this issue. I don't even know why they're in this issue, to be honest. They kind of show up, go a place, uh, do nothing, and then leave. So... Yes, you're absolutely right. I had some questions, and Marvel Unlimited's not loading the issue. So I want to ask you these questions. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll cover this issue this way. You ask your questions, and I'll answer it. I really wish these pages would load. So um, what is Ghost Rider's deal? Is he like another like Hulk split personality thing? I don't remember. Uh, he's not – like it, 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 it gets super complicated – he is – this version of Ghost Rider is not the demon Zarathos, which was the Johnny Blaze version of Ghost Rider. He's somebody else, and he's more attuned to Danny Ketch, his uh, host, somehow. Okay. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> that's, so That's all I can really tell you. So when Ghost Rider is Ghost Rider, which appears that it can only be Ghost Rider at night – which is a thing that is is that's not true. It only this is the first time I've seen that. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is issue nine, so maybe I just never noticed it before. But this is the first time they actually say it for the first time. Oh, it's nighttime. I gotta go. Um, but I find it hard to believe that every issue of Ghost Rider takes place at night. Eh, I mean, you know, uh, it's Ghost Rider. At some point, it's going to take place in the day. For instance, Fantastic Four number three forty eight. I'm pretty sure most of that takes place in the day. Yeah, well, so that, the, when they, whenever they cross over to like a different um, writer, I, I always take those with a grain of salt because they're not, you know, completely aware of the the rules that that have established this character. Um, okay, so I think those are really my only questions. Uh, but yeah, there's a, this whole Morlock thing going on, and you wouldn't know that unless people in the issue used Morlock names. It just looks like some some people that are you know, disfigured, a little bit different, um, are being killed 
by somebody. Well, two people. Two people. Blackout, which is the Ghost Rider villain, and then Mask is also uh, messing with people's limbs, so they're kind of... But is Mask in the issue? No, he's not, but they oh, refer to okay. him a lot. They they're do like, refer uh, to him. We got to protect the children from Mask, and we got to stay away from Mask, and Mask sure sucks. So yeah, Ghost Rider does a whole bunch of things. He eventually ends up saving everybody. X Factor, they go out, have no impact whatsoever on this story, meet one of these sort of disfigured family, and they're like, yeah, Ghost Rider saved us. Are You guys know him? And they're like, no. And then Ghost Rider bursts out of the ground. And they're like, hey, should we stop him? And they're like, nah, let's go home. Maybe we wouldn't even be able to stop him. Who knows? The 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 Morlocks say that they he saved them, so I guess he's a good guy. Yeah. So at least they don't fight. Right. There is a uh, there is a a female group of I guess assassins named Hart who are I think showed up in the last issue of Ghost Rider, and they just keep making all the wrong choices in this issue. They try to they're just trying to kill Ghost Rider, and they almost try to kill kids. And the next factor shows up, and they're like muties. Well, let's just get rid of them. So it's like I don't know. They're not supposed to be bad guys, but they're just making all these terrible choices. This Wings girl dies. Wow, there's all sorts of band references. You've got Heart, you've got Wings. Heck yeah. That's what this uh, Ghost Rider was all about. Do these ladies come out with their guns and start singing All I Want to Do is Make Love to You? (laughs) No, but their guns do turn into guitars and they do have Friday (laughs) night gigs. Sweet. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyways, uh, there you go. Uh, a completely ineffectual X Factor cameo in uh, Ghost Rider. It's a it's weird because like really it's just there for I don't I don't even know why it's there. It's just there for people to buy Ghost Rider. Maybe it's like oh X Factor's in this issue. I'm gonna pick this issue up. I don't know, man. But they don't do anything. They don't meet. They don't have like a misunderstanding, which is fine. It's sort of refreshing that they don't have a misunderstanding, but. You know, when you have those cameos, I guess it's not always that way. Sometimes you just have cameos where it's like, Reed Richards is in this issue for no reason, just talking about some invention of his. They are worried about children that have gone missing because they have a child in their uh, yes. in their team. Yes. So that that's really the only kind of sort of reference to what's going on that sort of makes sense. We need to go check this out because we love children. Yeah, there's one on our ship, so. Yeah. It's an the X factor needs to get involved in this for sure. All right. Now what are we covering? Uh, let's jump over to web of Spider-Man number 73. You just don't want to do this Wolverine. Wolverine's next. Oh, I I promise. You have a plan. Wolverine's going to be the one that's hard for me to load. So I'm doing that (laughs) one next. Oh man. All the behind the scenes. Uh, yeah. Web of Spider-Man number 37. Um, art attack part one of four. Yeah, I mean, there's not much that happens here. There's one thing I want to call out that has nothing to do with the X-Men or this story, uh, but it is the character design for um, Chandu. It's amazing. It's on page nine. Who's Chandu? Well, I'm I'm assuming it's Chandu. So it's all three bad guys are sitting in this van. Oh, he's one of the bad guys. Yeah, and he says, do not try to acetate yourself so my dear chandu dr morgan is right you run the risk of overtaxing the life support system i implemented in your neck so chandu is a female figure all right so wait that's two people 
Chandu is the head. I know this is, but <laughs> this is just, I want to see the movie in which the MCU does this because it's a woman's, and I was going to ask you, I don't know if you know the answer, but it's a woman's body. So, with, so with the no, woman, hang on, hang on, let me describe it. With no head. Okay. Well, she, you, she does have a head. The, the red ball is her head. It's too small to be like a human head though. Well, no, it's not a human head, but it's her head. Okay. There's a red ball, I guess, over her head with two tendrils or arms, little little spindly arms coming out that's holding this head of yes. an old man. So you basically have an old man's head with an evil-looking goatee on a female figure. And, uh, and her red ball head can do like all sorts of weird stuff like shoot arrows and uh, have arms that hold this head. I'm confused, though, because it says... You run the risk of overtaxing the life support system I implemented in your neck. Oh, so the head has a life support system. Yeah, if you look at his neck, he's got a little cylinder attached to his neck. Okay, I thought the little red ball on the lady's neck was the life support system. I was like, I don't know what's happening here, but I'm I can totally see why you would think that, and I applaud you for that creativity. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see the series in which this character exists, and it's just – it's not – two people it's one person it's the female body with the red thing and an old man's head and and i don't know he's looking for his body or whatever the case may be but throughout his adventures he inadvertently gets himself into situations where he has to solve solve crime i would like to just see red ball head lady as a character i it's just complete with the the arms coming out of the red ball holding the head Maybe head could also be in it, and they could be like solving crimes together. <laughs> well, exactly. Oh, and maybe the arc here, or, or the gimmick, is that he doesn't have full control over the limbs, and the limbs, of course, don't have full control over the mind. So from time to time, they're at odds as to like what are they going to do next. You could have a scene where they're in a bar, and and he's like walks up to somebody, and and he's like he knows that like he's got like a a, a trim fit body that that's practiced in martial arts and he's he's thinking that he's about to take this person down and as he's getting ready to like to like what he thinks to throw down he's like throwing all these insults at this person uh the body just uh uh, completely you know says no and meets so the bar guy just starts beating his face and (laughs) the body's just kind of like standing there tapping its feet and then later at the hotel he's like body why weren't you there for me I don't, they don't, uh, body must have a name, but I don't see it anywhere. I don't know. I could, I could write stories for days about this body man character. <laughs> I, I love it so much. And then the next panel is even more confusing because it has a scene of, uh, him pulling off Spider-Man's mask and it's his head. I don't know what's going on there, but. Well, he wants Spider-Man's body. I, I think these people first appeared in She-Hulk. Yeah. And She-Hulk was a pretty wacky sort of comic book with all sorts of weird characters like these. And at the end of this issue, uh, this head guy decided She-Hulk was too tough to steal the body of. So instead, they were going to try to steal the body of Spider-Man. It almost makes me, it it is references She-Hulk number three, and it almost makes me want to read She-Hulk three to figure out like what is happening with this character and what was she like in action. Those first first few issues of She-Hulk are pretty uh, bizarre. Never read them. But, and they break the fourth wall a lot. Yeah, they, I think Louise Simonson is a character named Wheezy. Other than that, the only thing that's really related to things we care about is Peter Nicholas is in the issue. But I don't even know if he's ever referenced by name. Um, 
You're right. I guess I guess he isn't. Although people recognize him. Yeah, he's. I think he's still a famous New York artist, and he's being uh, invited to this art gallery. Uh, has a public. But he's not even invited. He just has a a newsprint thing, and he's going to stand outside of the gallery and watch the 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 bigwigs kind of do stuff. Oh. Oh, you're right. But I shall be content for this evening just to stand outside the window and see the splendid gathering at a distance. So it's a it's a soft private opening tonight, and yeah. then the public opening is tomorrow. So all the famous bigwigs of art are there. Namor is there. Uh, Roy Lichtenstein is there. And uh, there's a clever bit where he is talking to a very comic booky Roy Lichtenstein type character. He says, "I am. I'm having a great time. I feel like I'm in a comic book." It's oh. hilarious. Human Torch is there. Because uh, the, the show is Alicia Masters' show, and they're married now. Oh, yes. Uh, and then the bad guys break in. There's a big fight. Spider-Man jumps into action. Uh, and Peter Nicholas sees the battle, and he runs towards it, and he's like, I feel there's something I can do to help. Some, some, something I can do, some way to help. Oh, the head lady talks. Does so the, she can talk. Does she talk? Where does she talk? Uh, when she's shooting the arrows, she says, leave him to me, Chandu. My plasma darts will stop him leaving without damaging the body you crave. Her name is Ruby. Oh, there this you is go. page 20. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. And so she, she totally is a character. She can like talk and stuff. I didn't think she could talk. And now she's got like little spikies coming out of her, her red ball head. Oh man, I love this character. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to read everything that this character has been a part of. There's probably not a lot. Probably not. Sadly, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> Chandu and Ruby, <laughs> the Chandu and Ruby show. That's another Simpsons reference. I'm all about the Simpsons. Her name is Ruby Thursday. Okay, which is a reference in itself. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, and so, throughout the fight, Peter Nicholas makes his way in, and a young redhead is sort of pushed aside. Spider-Man's like, big guy, I don't know who you are, but do me a favor and get Christy clear, would you? And Peter Nicholas says, Christy? Kitty? I, who? And she's like, hey, you okay? Who's rescuing who here? And the fight continues, and it's the end of the the Peter Nicholas. I think, um, I think Spider-Man had an upset stomach and either goes to the bathroom to vomit or evacuate his bowels. I was thinking the the bowels, but you know, either way makes sense. Which means he had to do his whole Spider-Man thing with an upset stomach, which seems like it would suck. Yeah. You know, he's got a tough life. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Uh, I'm, don't know if we'll see Peter Nicholas in the next issue of Web of Spider-Man, but... But if we do, you'll hear about it here. On B-Sides. On B-Sides. Uh, MJ's cousin, who who he sort of rescued, says, I don't know who that was, but I'd it'd be worth another visit to the village just to look for him. Because oh. he's handsome. So maybe they'll come back looking for him. <laughs> oh, man. Marvel Unlimited can't load up Wolverine number 35. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, uh, this is this is early days of the new version of Marvel Unlimited, and it's not going well. My, I can't load mine either. <laughs> Marvel Unlimited is down. Does that oh, mean we have weird. to do Wolverine 35 from memory? Because I think I could. I have a hard copy that I can go grab uh, just for references, but... Uh, 
I want to talk about Ruby Thursday. Oh, her, good, do it. Her first appearance was in, in November of 1975. It was the release date. Uh, and it was Defenders number 32. So she's been around for a long time. I don't know if Chandu was in that issue. Man, I knew we should have done Wolverine earlier. <laughs> I, I, I feel like if it's not loading now, it wasn't going to load earlier either. <laughs> Um, she was also in Deathlock, the oh. 1991 series that I know you read. I don't remember Chan doing that, but she was in Deathlock issue two. Oh, and issue three and issue five. I wonder if is Chandu just the head guy though. Well, this is just Ruby Tuesday. Oh, I don't know if Chan is in any of those issues. Or Ruby Thursday, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so she's in a lot of Defenders. And Deathlock and She-Hulk and more Defenders, some Marvel Comics Presents, all the way up through uh, last appearance is in 2016, Power Man and Iron Fist number two. Oh. So she hasn't appeared in five years, and I think that needs to be rectified. Yeah. So creators, get out there and put put, uh, Ruby Thursday in something because she seems like she's a neat character. My Wolverine number 35 just loaded. So. Mine did too. So it looks like whatever cool. problem, the IT folks there at Marvel Unlimited headquarters are on the job. It's almost as though we were recording this live and they were listening to us. But we're not. And they're not. Um, this is a good issue. This has a lot more references to the uh, recent adventure that we covered than I remembered. But yeah, it's mainly about Lady Deathstrike trying to track down Wolverine. We get uh, yeah, Wolverine heads up to Canada, meets up with Puck. Um, they meet this girl. They do this thing where they're cutting a fly in half with a knife. But Wolverine, he stabs himself in the arm, which scares away some would-be uh, bar uh, hooligans. But yeah, you're right. Uh, so Lady Deathstrike's like, I got to find Wolverine. So she's chasing uh, clues down as to where Wolverine could be. Uh, and then Gateway is kind of zipping her back to Australia. She starts out in Japan, and then she goes back to Australia, and then she goes to Madripoor, and then she confronts Tiger Tiger, and then she goes back to uh, Australia. Now, the important piece of all of that traveling is Pierce keeps saying that, you know, Gateway, like, he will do this for us, but, like, he doesn't need to do this for us, so we got to be careful. Uh, and there's no threat that we have to force him to do anything, yeah. which is sort of an interesting thing of Gateway. I don't know why Gateway is doing all of this, but he is. What does Pierce say? He says something very specific about it. It's each time she goes back to Australia, Pierce gives just like a little bit more. Uh, you should not forget that while Gateway is under that while Gateway is under obligation to us, he is not warmly disposed to our aims and. That which is done under duress is a question, questionable quality and sincerity. Send her where she wants to go, Gateway. It is my will. So for some reason, he's indebted or a slave of Pierce, but yeah, it's under I'd like duress. To, I'd like to know how that came about. Yeah. And obviously, they have they have little to no control over him. He just feels obligated to them. Yeah. So eventually, you know, she's chasing down all these clues and whatnot. Wolverine and um, Puck are fishing, and Puck's like, hey, were you at this battle in 1937? And Wolverine's like, oh, I don't know. I can kind of picture it in my head, I guess. And at the same time, um, Lady Deathstrike's like, I ain't got time for this. Uh, Gateway, take me 
to where Wolverine's thoughts are or what he sees. Yeah, send me to Vancouver Gateway. Send me to the place that Wolverine gazes upon this very moment. So Gateway does both of those things. He sends her first to Vancouver and then sends her to the place that he is gazing on at this very moment, which we learn is that Wolverine has his eyes closed Mm -hmm. and he is picturing in his head uh, a photograph that he was just looking at from 1937 of during, during, I guess, some sort of period. Um, Uh, 1937 would be like the beginning phases of World War II. Puck has a picture of himself with a girl named Inez in his lap, which Wolverine knows for some reason. And Puck's like, how the blazes did you know her name? And they're hanging out with Ernest Hemingway. And uh, they all get transported there yeah, into the past. It creates a time vortex, which is neat, I guess, and uh, sucks in Wolverine, Puck, and the boat. And they show up in the middle of a matador uh, event. And uh, Puck is now normal size. He's like a good six foot buff dude, and he right. picks up the sword and the uh, the red matador cape thing and puts on a show. Wolverine grabs a beer from Ernesto, Ernest Hemingway, I guess. Ernest Hemingway, yeah. And the girl there, uh, Inez, she's like, "How would you? How, what sort of trick did you use to show up in the middle of the field there? Trapdoor magic." He's like, magic. Oh, okay. And so Puck does a really good job um, doing whatever you do to a bull, I guess, pacifying it. And then everyone... he, he does a perfect Veronica, which I had to look up. And apparently a Veronica in bullfighting is when you uh, your feet don't move, but you do the whole bullfighting thing and your, your cape goes over the head of the bull. Mm. I, I learned something new today. And everyone's like, give us the final thrust. And Puck's a good guy. He's like, he's a brave bull. I ask for his life because now he's French for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so he doesn't kill the the bull. But then an airplane, a dive bomber starts shooting up the place. There is an air raid happening. And it's a bunch of Nazis. And they're like, hey, we're in Guernica. Which, we're in Guernica. Which I guess is probably... Probably historically accurate. I don't know. Sure. Doesn't look like the way Pablo Picasso painted it, says Wolverine, but I guess Pablo Picasso hasn't painted it yet because Ernest Hemingway says, why would he paint Guernica? Yeah. He's having a great time in Paris, hanging out with Gertie and Ellis. And I don't know who Gertie and Ellis are. Me neither. Wolverine asks Puck for a sword and Puck's like, what? You want to use a sword against an airplane? He's like, yeah. So he uses his left arm to fling the sword at the airplane, which stabs through the hull and into, I guess, the pilot's leg. And he crashes the airplane and Puck's like, wow, that was with your left hand. Wolverine's like, well, I had to make it even. He didn't have a sword. Which is good Wolverine writing. Yeah, it's funny. It is very good. Very (laughs) clever. Uh, Ernest Hemingway and Inez, they got a car and like, get into our car. And we'll drive away. Yeah. Um, and then the Lady Deathstrike is watching through binoculars. So close. I almost had him. Where is he going? And then she uh, gets pulled up on by some tanks with some. Well, she says, cir- what is this place? World War One Germans. Where is this place? This certainly isn't Vancouver. And you think I think it's World War Two because it's 1937. But they're not wearing Nazi outfits. Well, I mean, it's like, I don't know. Pre-World War II. It's like, a, it's like a, you know, a year before World War II. Okay. I think. 
Isn't it like 1939 or something like that? When I am taking your word that it's 1937 because I don't remember that being in the issue. So I was just kind of rolling with it. Oh, okay. I'm going to go back. I'm going to find okay. it because it's a super important detail. It, apparently it is. Anyway, there's some Germans. They're, they're dressed in gray. They're, uh, they're going to they're gonna kill. He does say the Luftwaffe. So is, is that a World War II thing? Yeah, well, yeah, but it's, it was the Air Force. And he's in a tank, so that part didn't oh. make sense to me. Well, that that throws everything off. <laughs> this whole thing is confusing. Anyway, a bunch of soldiers are going to shoot Lady Deathstrike. Uh, speaking of people having new powers, as we have been saying, and we learned that Gateway can force people to travel through time now. I don't know. I like the sort of um, the idea that Gateway can take people where they need to go. And people think in terms of places, not necessarily times. So when Lady Deathstrike was like, take me to Wolverine and where, what he gazes upon, he's like, okay. And his power just did that. And yeah. So I, I like it. I don't think it's like a... I don't think he did it intentionally. Yeah. I, think, I think it's just how his powers work. But But this is the first time we've ever seen his powers transport somebody through time i feel like it, you know it, it you could call it i don't want to call it a retcon but you could call it like a new introduction of a power but i think it's it's cleverly enough introduced um that you're like yeah nobody thought to be like hey gateway send me back to 1920 i want to do a thing right so i'm not finding the 1937 thing but i'm sure it's in here oh here it is uh, this isn't even 1990. We're back in 1937 in Spain during the Civil War. I remember this bullfight. It was like the USO show for the Loyalist troops, says Puck. Okay. Yeah. So that that's probably, I mean, you know, pretty early in World War II. Yeah. Possibly possibly before World War II. Yeah. Like World War II is about to happen maybe. I don't know. Does it give a month? I don't know. <laughs> okay. And it's to be continued. Yes. And I'm assuming that, you know, these Germans are all going to die. World War II, as recorded by Wikipedia, was September 1st, 1939 to September 2nd, 1945. Okay, so this would be pre-World War II. But if you've ever watched any of those fascinating Hitler documentaries or even Hitler docudramas, uh, you know, everything was taking place, like, you know, in the early to mid 30s as they're building right. up the yeah the build-up to the yeah. war was throughout the 30s yeah yeah yep all right i don't know a whole lot about history i'll be the first to admit it but i love history because like in in high school i was like oh history's stupid and then in college i was like wow i wish i hadn't thought history was stupid in high school i'm the stupid one <laughs> this is actually really interesting stuff there is uh, if you ever want to sit down and watch like 27 DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. There is The World at War, uh, narrated by Laurence Olivier, um, in which they basically go through uh, sort of year by year. And when things get like really thick in the story, or not the story, but, but history, they start breaking it up by like, it's 19... Uh, 41 and then they'll cover like everything that was happening in 1941 in africa and then they'll go up to you know whatever was happening in germany or poland or russia or whatever um it's fascinating how many hours does it say it is because <laughs> it is many 
It's 26 hours. It's not 27 DVDs, but it's okay. it's at least uh, it's probably 14 DVDs. And, it's uh, an endeavor. It's definitely not something you want to sit down and do in one sitting. You're, well, you would probably hang yourself if you tried to binge it over a weekend. Uh, it's definitely something you spoon feed yourself if you're interested yeah. Yeah. Uh, in historical events. And this has got like as much footage, uh, probably all the footage. I don't know, unless somebody's got something hidden in a vault somewhere. There's so much, you know, crazy propaganda footage. They've got footage uh, from Germany, from France, from England, from the U.S. Uh, some of it's in color, a lot of it's in black and white, uh, home video, news footage, just everything that they could get. And it's all cut together and they build out this story and uh, it's it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, you should watch that. I would like to, honestly. I don't know that I ever will. Uh, the likelihood that I will find that set is it if it is it really readily available? It's I'm on Amazon right buy. now for a hundred and eleven dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, it's on Blu-ray for fifty-four. That's probably a better price. Yeah, that's definitely a better price. Cheaper, always better. <laughs> Cheaper, better quality. I mean, it's still all black and white footage, but I guess it's probably. Oh, it says the ultimate restored edition. Oh my god, it's probably all re-encoded and stuff. Probably the DVD is a four by three widescreen thing, yeah, so yeah. it's like doesn't even fill up your TV. Kind of BS is that? Yeah, this is uh, th- this um, first review says the World at War is arguably the greatest World War II documentary series ever made, and this version it's twenty six hours. How could it not be? The World at War, the Ultimate Restored Nine Disc Blu Ray Collector's Edition, breathes life into the forty four year old series. Ooh, the series is forty four years old. Oh, and that's the other th- sort of neat thing is that because. What is it? It's 2020. Since this was made in like the 80s, and and I don't know, I'm guessing it probably aired on PBS or something. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not really commercialized. So there's long scenes where Laurence Olivier would be like, and then the tanks rolled in, and it'll be like five minutes of like just tank footage. Just tanks rolling in. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like you know, different um, era uh, appropriate angles or shots of these tanks rolling in, and wherever there's sound, they'll have sound in there. Um, so it's it's not like we're gonna like get in get out forty five minutes make some time for some commercials, um, killer soundtrack. Yeah, you you could almost say that in, in parts it gets a little boring because it's just like no, this is what happened. Like these are tanks, these are dead bodies, uh, and these are starving people. And you're gonna watch it for a while, and this is what happened. And you get done watching it, you're like, oh man, a horrible time to be alive. I'm gonna see if that's streaming anywhere, and if it is, I don't. I'll watch it. I'm not going to buy it, though, because I feel like that's something you watch once and then never watch again. I don't know. I've been consi- I've been, it's not been on my mind for a while. There's there's that, and then there's a couple of movies that cover the sort of like Hitler's rise to power. There's one that's got um, uh, Liev Schreiber, uh, not as Hitler, uh, <laughs> as a supporting character, Himmler or Goebbels. But anyways, uh, that's a like a four-hour uh, dramatization and then there's oh there's um the downfall which has um who played Obi-Wan Kenobi? Uh, Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness as Hitler. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that one. I haven't, but I am aware that he played Hitler. Uh that's a good movie and then they remade it and that's the the one the memes that you've seen the of meme one, yeah. Hitler screaming and it's a really good movie if you can separate yourself from all those memes. I fortunately <laughs> saw the movie before seeing any of the memes so none of it was ruined for me. There also are books 
Lots and lots of books. I like watching things. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a, a very large book. It's like a thousand pages, um, which is basically like the story of World War II, in which they basically start at the beginning and try to go through the whole thing in this very large, it's an oversized book. The reason I don't read it is because it's like, it's so big <laughs> that it's just not comfortable to hold and read, but just one, like tear out the pages <laughs> done with that page. <laughs> <laughs> then you're like incentivized to get to the end because the book becomes lighter and lighter. Yeah. All right. What else do we got to read here? We got fantastic four number three forty eight, which continues the new fantastic four, which is ghost rider, Hulk, Wolverine and Spider-Man. Which is the only reason I bought the comic back in the nineties. I, I, you knew, you knew about that. I was buying all the Ghost Riders at the time, right? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was aware of that. Yeah, yeah. what an obsession. Got stupid after a while. Yeah, but this one's, you know, this is a good one. You got Walt Simonson writing and Art Art Adams um, drawing. Oh no, this was probably the cream of the crop as far as Ghost Rider appearances outside of his, although. His penance stare in this issue does get used incorrectly. Oh. But, you know, what can you do? So, yeah, it's a bunch of scrolls. They, they're they it's a bunch of monsters. Mole Man's here. We learned that the scrolls have connection to the monsters because they got, like, similar to scroll anatomy, I guess, or something. And then that's why they're sending them out because they can control them that way. And they can also use them to detect to like scan the life forms around the areas, which is why they're sending them to major cities so that they can find this scroll lady that they're uh, looking for. We get a little backstory about her, about how she was like genetically engineered to kill the emperor. So the emperor is sending them after her. Um, And then we get her working with Mr. Fantastic because the rest of the fantastic four are kind of held her prisoner. And, uh, Mr. Fantastic just helps her out. He's like, I, I don't have really, I don't really have a choice. I don't have any powers. I can't, I don't know where my family is. I just have to work with this woman. I feel like there's a seed planted here as, as Mr. Fantastic and the, the Empress lady or the evil lady, whatever she is, there's, they're walking out of the four freedoms Baxter building or whatever it's called. Uh, she's like, dear, shouldn't you tell the robot that uh, what we're doing? And he's like, Oh, of course. Uh, well, if anyone asks, we're just uh, taking a little day trip together. Everything's fine. And Roberta, in view of the national emergency, be sure to tell my friends in the Marines. Yeah. And I feel I, like that's got to be a code, right? I think that's definitely a code. Yeah. It's, it sure sure feels like it. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's some good, you know, Art Adams artwork here and Ghost Rider. So tell me, he uses his penance stare uh, against the scroll, and you said that's incorrect? Yeah, so what his penance stare does in the pages of Ghost Rider is it makes people experience all the bad things that they've done to ever anybody else. So if you, like, uh, killed somebody, you would feel that person's pain. Uh, if you terrorize somebody, you would feel that person's terror. That's what the penance stare does. It makes you feel all of the horrible things you've done to anybody else. It's makes you It makes you pay penance. Uh, he uses it here to like force him to talk about his past. It's it's not really a torture device so much as a getting somebody to talk device. Sure, but I do like this effect of the penance stare that Art Adams draws, where the skull just turns like total red. Yeah, that's right, that's right, pretty right. neat. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that before. 
gaze into the pen and stare in the ghost rider of the ghost rider and see there your past speak uh no i so i guess the idea is that he doesn't get the pen and stare maybe i don't know i sort of interpreted it probably incorrectly as like maybe he understood what he would be seeing or he saw just a little bit he's like no no, no i'll tell you i don't know but it's, you don't see your path, so even Ghost Rider doesn't know what it does in this issue. Okay. It's like, see there your past. No, that's not what the penance stare is. It makes you, it, it's penance for what you're, for your crimes, for your horrible things. I like this bit where the, uh, the scroll leader is disguised as a rock, and so Wolverine and Hulk start smashing stuff. It's like, you must be around here somewhere, so they just start smashing rocks. That's funny. Yes, and then they eventually find the Skrull who is disguised as a rock. And then they're like, well, no, hang on. It's this this evil lady. Uh, let's track her. I got a tracking device. Looks like you have the tracking device. There's only three of these. Who'd you get it from? Well, let's track her. Oh, my gosh, I'm getting an echo. She's right behind us. And that's when Mr. Yeah. Fantastic and Sue show up, and they're like, oh, I see what's happening. But Mr. Fantastic is like, no, over my dead body, you can't attack her. And the Hulk's like, well, we already saw that Mr. Fantastic's dead, so we know you're a scroll, Mr. Fantastic, and we're going to kill you. Ha <laughs> ha. Yep. End so, of issue. There. Yeah. Eggs got legs is the next issue. Eggs got legs. Eggs got legs, and they know how to use them. I, I don't know. That, that was an interpolation of uh, she's got legs. Is it time for Marvel Comics Presents? It is. Oh my uh, god, this is a good one. It it is it is a surprisingly good one because I've been complaining about this and I feel like I kind of have to what do they say that you have to eat crow? Yeah, you can eat some crow. Cuz uh cuz all of a sudden this became really interesting and it took six parts <laughs> and it was even the last the fifth part was kind of interesting too when we learned that this wasn't Wolverine, it was somebody else. Because I've been complaining throughout the whole thing that Wolverine was so poorly written, which he still is. But this, uh, this, 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 they give it away right away. I'm not Wolverine, I'm Calvin Rankin. So when you were reading this last time around, did you know that this was Calvin Rankin? No, no. Oh, uh, okay. I thought you. I still thought it was uh, somebody else. Yeah, that, that Daredevil villain. So I read. I'm Calvin Rankin, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then then he clarifies, I'm the mimic. And, uh, yeah, the rest of this issue is basically him going through his origins of, like, yeah. and I don't know how much of this we knew, but, you know, it sounds like Calvin Rankin's life has just been filled with a whole bunch of mishaps after mishaps, but... His dad was a scientist working on some experiments, and Calvin accidentally inhaled some gas, and after that, uh, he could basically mimic everybody, right? He was able to beat the school boxing team's captain and become the best athlete and get all the good grades, uh, and his dad knew what was happening, so he's like, we got to go live in a cave. <laughs> friggin' weird. Which, but which they do. They, apparently, they go live in a cave. But he got out of the cave after his dad died? Or, I think so. Yeah. And so he was dating Vera and met up with Hank and got super jealous, but then picked up Hank's abilities and the Iceman. All the abilities. stuff that we covered. Yeah, we've seen and covered all of this. Uh, Presumably, but I don't remember any of it. And then he was defeated 
Um, and then he lost his powers, but then he got his powers back and he became a lieutenant of the X-Men. Um, when Cyclops stepped down again, stuff that we've read before. And then I had forgotten this, that, uh, he met up again with Vera and Beast when Beast was Blue Beast, but in disguise. And right. that's when he, it was kind of, I thought it was kind of a sad story and didn't even happen in Astonishing Tales. I think it happened in a copy or an issue of Hulk. It was in Hulk, yeah. Yeah, where where the writer, um, oh man, can't remember who it was, was like trying to finish his his like beast arc, and and part of it, uh, Calvin Rankin shows up, and I think asks for help or something, but ends up absorbing some of the uh, plasma or the gamma radiation, and they think that he dies, but apparently he right. didn't die. But apparently he didn't die because. Wolverine was nearby at that time, and he absorbs his healing factor. Right before the events of Hulk number 181. Well, I I think that was like several – Like, did they reference which Hulk issue it was? It says – I feel like it was many, many, many – These Hulk events Earth. took place shortly before Hulk number 181. Okay, so the Hulk issue where the Kelvin Rankin is in is 161. Oh. And then the – uh, issue that Wolverine is in is 181. So presumably during that time, Hulk is running around Canada and Wolverine is tracking him, let's say. Yeah, I I, I assume that they are uh, like telling us that they're tying Calvin Rankin's story into that first appearance of Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. So Wolverine's kind of hanging around Canada. Calvin Rankin's Almost dead, but gets, I guess, close. Oh, he also talks about, like, how his mimicking power just keeps, like, expanding and expanding and expanding and getting further and further out. So Wolverine was in enough of a vicinity that Calvin Rankin was able to uh, get his powers. It also turns out his dad was doing some experimentation with adamantium, maybe even trying to inject himself with some adamantium. But all of this connected into, like, evidently he was able, he took a shine to Wolverine effectively turned into wolverine yeah he doesn't just absorb his powers he absorbs like he there's a panel where his hair turns into his hair mm -hmm. and he's got claws so you know somehow he got bone claws that have adamantium on them somehow of course we don't know they're their bone claws are not a thing yet so so it was all sort of like because of the gamma radiation that he had absorbed and because wolverine was in the area he was able to get the healing factor and and that's led to him sort of being in this crazed state of being a Wolverine clone. And that's when Wolverine shows up. Yeah, looks like uh, we're the only ones, the uh, the ones uh, who are really to blame. At least I am. You mean you're alive too? How'd you manage that, Wolverine? And Calvin Rank's like, Wolverine? You got that right, bub. I came to help you. You're wrong, pal. I'm the one who's going to help you right into the grave. You screwed up my whole life, and for that, you're going to pay with yours. I hope this this uh, this is the uh, this is the end. Continues next issue. Yeah. I hope this ends with uh, Calvin Rankin assuming the role of Wolverine for the rest of the series. <laughs> of Marvel Comics Presents, or just the Marvel Universe? Just the Marvel Universe, and <laughs> and like we never knew because it was buried in some lame story in marvel comics presents that surprisingly and uh surprisingly in part six almost becomes the most important issue of marvel comics ever 
Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I read this and I was like, oh my God, why didn't somebody come up with this story sooner and put it in like a dedicated book? Like this could be a, well, maybe because I'm an X-Men mimic fan. Probably wouldn't have sold well otherwise. I feel like this story, like, wasn't very, like, I don't think this is where the story was going in the beginning (laughs) because it was just terrible. It was like Wolverine hitching a ride with the Hulk and the Hulk hitching a ride with random people. And it was, it wasn't going anywhere. And then all of a sudden it was, it was going somewhere and it just doesn't, it feels like two separate things. I wonder if like Chris Claremont or Len Wein stepped in and they're like, you know what you should do? That's what it feels like. Somebody (laughs) stepped in. Why don't you make this guy who you don't really have a plan for? Why don't you make him the mimic with the mimics dead? That's comics. (laughs) Give him like some weird backstory with his dad, adamantium and gamma radiation. It's fine. The kids will eat it up. Kids will love it. So there you go, people. If you need a fix of mimic, go check out that Marvel comics presents. Yeah. Start with part five. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Start with part five because the rest of it's kind of boring. It's it's not only boring, it's just bad. It's bad. Woof. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, man, that's that's it. Um show notes, uh whatever the stuff we do here is. Oh, uh yeah. B sides. Do we have any letters? Uh we we this is a long episode. We'll do letters next episode. Look forward to that, everybody. More letters yeah. is coming out. So, yeah, if you want to add to that letter pile, please do so by visiting www.xmenpodcast.com or going out to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go. Uh, go out to Danger Room at xmenpodcast.com to send us an email. Find us on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found to subscribe to us. Or go out to uh, patreon.com forward slash Danger Room where all of this content plus the bonus Patreon-exclusive content is posted, uh, where we talk about all sorts of things, like the the way I can't follow what's happening in the current run of the X-Men, uh, as well as other pop <laughs> culture things. Uh, spoilers for the next Patreon, and I don't know how these things line up as we release them, but I think this will come out before that. Uh, I watched a couple movies that I'm going to talk about. Ooh. I watched a movie that I could talk about. Yes, and there are movies that... Uh, we've both seen from our past. Oh. So there you go, everybody. You, look for the, you, you, you could pay a buck to listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Adam, it's a long one. Uh, do you have anything else? No, I do not. Good. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Good night, everyone. Good night. What if they're listening to it in the morning? Good day, everyone. Good day. All right. Bye. (laughs) 